0: Cool. Let's get yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Okay, so Ryan and I are here today with Jake Bloom, who's a former president of CSCSoc and is now doing bigger and better things overseas. um I'm so not, ju- I'm not right? sure
1: it gets bigger and better than than uh, CSCSoc, CSCSOC <laughs> okay, to be honest.
0: That's hard to argue. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I don't want to fully introduce Jake because that's your job you know you the best so why don't you start with a like an elevator pitch as to to sell you to us I guess
1: yeah for sure so uh my name is Jake Bloom um I was born and raised in Sydney um I studied computer science at UNSW uh from 2014 to 2016 um I I did my three years and then and then got out um while while i was here um i interned at atlassian um and then uh i got the opportunity to go over to facebook um as a graduate there um and moved over to california um i spent almost two years at facebook and now i'm working at a startup called steady health uh and that's up in san francisco so i'm living up in uh in san francisco now um and my role at you know facebook and both steady has uh, has mainly been in product engineering so um if you think of like product engineering being more like user-facing sort of things as opposed to like infrastructure and, and back-end sort of stuff
2: did you study just computer science when you're here
1: yep just straight computer science okay three years And I, and i started doing computer science as well i've got a lot of friends who started doing software engineering and then uh they did a little bit of their thesis, decided they hated writing a thesis and then decided to switch to computer science and then uh and graduate early. So uh yeah, I was just computer science all the way through. That's all
2: from my understanding, you graduated in twenty seventeen.
1: Twenty sixteen.
2: Sixteen? <laughs> yeah. How long was it between Facebook like recruiting and you graduating?
1: Um so it, it was a process, so okay. fa- Facebook did their hackathon um, in April, and I participated in the Facebook hackathon and, and sort of got to know the team uh, through there, and um, and once that happened, I went through the whole interview process, which took a few months. I ended up getting my offer in August uh, of 2016, and then uh, starting in February of 2017, um, and between then, obviously, I graduated in, in the end of 2016.
2: Okay, graduate in the end yep. of twenty sixteen.
1: That's okay. very cool. Yep. Does that count as
2: graduating in twenty
0: sixteen or twenty seventeen? I counts as graduating in twenty sixteen because you go so, through the entire
1: academic year. So the the ceremony was in twenty seventeen. If that's uh, if that's what you're getting confused about, yeah. this was... the studies ended in
0: twenty sixteen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so I I did my okay. last
1: subject. I I finished off ethics in uh in twenty sixteen and said goodbye to Wayne Wolkean and said goodbye to UNSW then. <laughs> Adios. <laughs> Um I guess we'll move into like
2: UNSW we're all, we're all from UNSW.
0: Um yeah, so why did you choose to pursue computer science when you first jumped into it? Um
1: I'm very very lucky and I was actually chatting to a few people about this uh today actually. And and I'm very lucky that I always knew I wanted to do something with computers. Um the school I went to uh offered uh, like an after-school web design course that when I was like 10 years old um, and I did that um, and I really enjoyed it and, and since then I've always really enjoyed computer science and software development um, but I'm I'm very sort of cognizant that I'm very lucky that not everyone has like you know such a clear path uh, and a lot of people uh, will try things out and, and like that's totally okay as well um, to be like switching degrees and not knowing what you want to do. I know a lot of people who are like one or two years into working and, and they don't know what, where they want to be and what they want to do so um, I count myself as very lucky but it, it's definitely not a path that like people should aspire to follow if if you don't if you can't or if you don't
0: yeah definitely enjoy yeah.
1: computer science in yeah. general
0: because I remember um, in my first year in uni actually I was doing science at YouTube and then I just realised that like I like the problem solving aspect of comp sci and then I just jumped into like so, um, science and comps are here, which I guess is a better, better and, decision on my mind.
1: And that's totally okay. And and what I feel that people have, people have this thing about like switching degrees and like wasting time when they're early on sort of in their degree. And And when you're like 18 or 19 years old, like having like a whole year sounds like a large chunk of time. It's really not. In the grand scheme of your career, it's not a long time at all. I'm a big fan of do whatever makes you happy. And if you find something is not making you happy, then stop doing it. That's sort of the, the, uh, the philosophy I sort of live by.
0: Yeah. Um, on that thread, actually, I've got quite a few friends who are thinking of transferring into computer science. And like, although this is like purely anecdotal and not like a statistical trend, um, do you have any pointers for people who are thinking to like pick up computer science? Yeah. Um, Uh, try it and see if you
1: like it. That's, uh, that's legitimately my advice. Like, the The more people we have studying computer science and becoming programmers um in Australia but also in the world the better because you know we can have more companies we can have a healthier you know startup and tech ecosystem in sydney um and you guys have sort of spoken about that in previous podcasts as well which is um which is really great um but like if you want to try something out like just do it. And just say yes and try it out, and if you don't like it, you don't like it, and if you do like it, then fantastic
2: um just as a side question to continue from that um do you think there's a certain balance between like having people who like become full graduates in computer science and then people just learning programming so they can script maybe like you know a couple of things to assist with their daily jobs and whatnot
1: yeah i I mean there's no like prescription of where your career should go if you're studying computer science you can go full on into like a very technical role um i know a lot of people who end up doing product management or even just like engineering management and go through like the mentoring and and the management stage of things or even uh the product and the strategy sort of side of developing a product and building a product and if you decide to go somewhere else and take the skills with you, then that's a totally valid thing to do as well. There's a lot that you can learn through a computer science degree in terms of like the fundamentals of computer science. It's very applicable everywhere else, and learning in general is just always a very good thing. Like your your brain is probably your most important muscle, and having an education and learning really works it out, um, and keeps your brain strong. So you know it. it it doesn't matter if you're really going to use programming like heavily in your day-to-day life. It's still like a valuable tool to have.
2: For people who aren't in the comp sci, like faculty, uh, what do you suggest for, so let's say for an example, uh, an art student or a law student or a doctor, a med
1: student, and they want to get into programming. What are your suggestions for them? So my suggestions would be to to come in sort of with clear eyes, you know, some people come in and, and they're like oh i'll i'll do the i'll do computing one a i 'll do intro to computing um and then i'll be able to like write a machine learning algorithm that'll build me a startup and make me a millionaire <laughs> like you you need to be realistic about it and of course and you know being a programmer, it takes practice and it takes hard work um that that's the reality um having said that, there is nothing wrong with trying it and seeing if you enjoy it um and if you're if you want to start a business or a company one day that involves programming and engineering in some way it's like it's always good to have some sort of visibility on what engineers do rather than seeing engineers as like this black box that go beep boop boop on a computer <laughs> and eventually something comes out like um my uh my boss at the moment comes from a computer science uh background and and he was never a full uh engineer Um, But he is actually a product manager by trade. And it's it's really valuable to be able to explain technical problems that we're having to him. And then uh, him being able to give some insight, even though he's not an engineer in his day-to-day
0: life. He's just had this knowledge in the past. How did you find your experience studying in Like, what was your biggest takeaway? I loved every second
1: of my computer science degree. Um, I really, really did enjoy it. Um, more than anything else, I really enjoyed the friends I made and the activities I did. Like when everyone comes away from university, uh, this is actually how I used to pitch CSC SOC to people. Um, when everyone comes away from university, your best memory is never sitting in that lecture or like going to that tutorial or anything like that. The best memories are always like the friends you make and the things you do and, and, you know, building a new network and, and having new experiences, um, and you know the roundhouse parties that you forget and, and all that sort of stuff um, that's that's definitely like my biggest takeaway is the, the friends I've made the experiences I've had and then sort of secondary to that is like the technical skills that I've picked up uh, studying a computer science degree as well
0: damn it for me I had friends
1: <laughs> oh, I'll, right. be, I'll be your friend
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was so powerful it was like
2: <laughs> secondary is the technical but what I spent all my time at uni doing but the experiences were the primary yeah. impressive
0: um so speaking of CSE SOC how's your experience in CSE SOC molded you as a student and as like a tech professional considering of course that you've like you said your your biggest takeaway from uni is like CSE SOC and its activities and friends yourself
1: yeah it's it's really brought a new perspective to me so there's there's one part that's sort of being a member of CSC SOC, um, which is fantastic. Um, it fed me every week, which was great, um, at the barbecues. Mm-hmm. the And what you get from that is you get like a network of people. Meeting a network of people uh, is really underrated in the Australian tech community because it is a small community and we're all going to run into each other at some point or another. I was actually at Canva this morning having breakfast with an old friend um, and there were like three or four people that I'd met just at UNSW or previous jobs or things like that. Um, so it's a really small community and and being part of that network is always better than not being part of that network. That That's just always going to be the case. Um, that's the main thing you get from So The other stuff is like access to the sponsor companies that come in and run events. And that's really useful when you're looking for an internship or if you're looking for a job. Um, being on the board of CSE SOC really taught me a lot about management. It taught me a lot about how different people contribute to a team in different ways. And that's really important because in your career, in a career as an engineer, you don't have to be an engineer forever. You can get into management, you can get into product strategy or product management or anything like that. You don't have to sit writing code for years and years if you don't want to. Yeah, just like um,
0: last, sorry, the last interview we had, we had... A guy who was studying computer science, um, pure computer science, and in Ireland, and then now he works as a solutions architect in Australia, where he just basically meshes um, technical aspects with more client-facing like sales side. So I know it's just a addendum to your point that. Yeah. Absolutely, and and being part of CSC
1: SOC taught me a lot about like management and and how to build a team and. Because that's really difficult to do. Um, and it's something that the more experience you have, of, the more you learn from it. Um, and you really understand that there are so many different ways for people to contribute to a team. Um, and there are so many different ways to like manage a person and get the most out of a person. And every person is different. Um, and that's something that's really valuable.
2: So I feel like the, the consensus with your uni experience is that your experiences in CSC SOC as a whole has been amazing when you've been involved in society. We're going to put you on the spot here. Um, what, are your, what are your best stories that are probably
1: appropriate for the podcast? <laughs> best stories that are appropriate for the podcast. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I need a moment to think about really yeah, Because, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that's definitely not appropriate for the podcast. Yeah. Um, there was uh always the touch footy competitions that uh it's that that Eng Sock ran oh, okay. um there was um yeah the there was one year where CSC sock came third um we lost to Mech sock in the semi final oh no yeah it was it was very sad if you rummage through the old lockers uh downstairs you can probably find some of the some of the jerseys um there was um uh all the first year camps were always just like a lot of fun um there was uh, a time where two camp leaders ran away and we had to go like put a party together to go find them uh shout out to uh stephen my uh, my housemate and who was in c s c sock with me for for putting us on that uh on that witch hunt there you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah, just like a lot of really, really good times that that were had, like even just hanging out in Sock's office and
0: shooting the shit with everyone is just such an enduring memory that I have. So moving on from that, your response was essentially that the networking you did in CSE Sock was really valuable to um, how you got to where you are now, essentially is my takeaway, right? Um, and networking is a skill that is pretty hard to develop. People have to like work at it again and again and like fall into I guess assume the fetal position because it's like so awkward sometimes so do you love it do you hate it and how do you get good at networking I've got an interesting relationship with networking I
1: I, I like it when I'm in that mood to go out and talk to people and if I'm not in that mood then you know something can just feel like a drag um, how do you get good at it? It's the same way you get good at programming. It's just practice, and practice makes perfect. Um, that's that's all it is, really. Like, go to as many meetups as you can, as many events as you can, and, and talk to people and, and um, understand them and relate to them. And that's how you get good at networking. So
0: during that process of getting good at networking, I assume that there's been some moments where it's been... It felt really bad, like self-conscious, right? Are there any stories that you can share about any like embarrassing networking stories or something like that so
1: um i was at a meetup with some friends and we were it was down in darling harbor somewhere and we got to the end of the meetup and everyone was sort of going home and uh this guy came over and started chatting to someone that we were with and he was like really getting close and affectionate and and a. A, a bit, a bit too, a bit too into it, and um, and decided to ask for for uh, this person that we were with. Uh, he decided to ask for their LinkedIn, um, because <laughs> that's that that's what you want, right? <laughs> not, totally thought you were gonna say phone number. Yeah, no, not not phone number or anything. Well, yeah, may, maybe the conventional approach would have been to ask for a phone number. This guy was was collecting LinkedIn's, not from anyone else in the group, mind you, just this one person, um, and um, and they were trying to they were trying to find each other on linkedin but this person had their their privacy settings up so high so that he couldn't he couldn't get to their linkedin and it was it was quite a painful experience so m- my advice is like adding someone on like adding people on linkedin is like totally valid um as a networking like at a networking event to add someone on linkedin is a totally valid thing to do um, don't hit on people at networking events. That's that's no good. Yeah, yeah. That, that's probably not probably not the best approach. Um, that's probably like the most awkward situation I've been in at, at <laughs> an event. Is, and there, there was myself and some other friends who were just like watching this happen in front of us. It was
0: it felt like a TV show. It was it was bad. It's bad for both of them as well because the guy. Well, can't he just find assumed your, genders.
2: What? You don't know who
0: this. I
1: I I did I did say it was. Uh, oh okay okay guy, okay, okay. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. sorry sorry. sorry. <laughs> it's <guy>. like <laughs> the, the guy
0: can't find the other person, yeah. and the other person's got to be feeling a bit uncomfortable at that point. Anyway, so they they
1: they took it pretty well. It was pretty funny. Um, we we had you know we can look back now and laugh. Yeah, props um, to both of them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But look, good on good on you for putting yourself out there as well. You know that's how to make things happen.
0: Um. Yeah. So since you're someone who students like want to network with, um, especially since you've been in like a whole bunch of different positions and like, I don't know, you worked at Facebook, which is always something that I guess students at some point or another would aim for. What are your tips on networking? And especially after someone has gained like a connection with you on LinkedIn, um, how do they best follow up on that and capitalize on it? So
1: what I'd say about networking is that the person you're sitting across from or standing at an event with, they're all human. And it's networking is not some weird foreign planet where, like, social rules do not apply. So just talk to them as you would any of your other friends or family members. Just relate to them as a human. It doesn't necessarily have to be about work. Um, just getting on with someone and making a relationship is... Uh, is good. Once you've got a connection with someone on LinkedIn, absolutely take advantage of that. But what you have to do is like really make it personal. So for example, like really get into the stalking. Um, I, I would absolutely advocate for like stalking someone's Instagram. So professional stalking, professional stalking. Absolutely. So, um, so for example, uh, using myself, uh, if you were to look at uh, my Instagram or something a bit more personal than LinkedIn, you'd find out that my partner Zoe and I have recently taken up tennis, uh, and we're not very good at it, but we've just started it as a hobby. Um, and uh, and so, if you message me and said, uh, hey, Jake, great to connect, let's go out sometime, um, you know, that's fine, I might reply to that. But if you said, uh, hey, Jake, really great to connect, I see you've recently taken up tennis, um, I'd love to come and play doubles with you at some point. I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. We're looking for people to play tennis with. Um, so like really make it personal. If you have like a mutual friend with the person as well, like we were talking about like the mutual friends we had before we started recording um, and a mutual friend put us in touch, obviously someone is far more likely to take that coffee date or, or take that phone call if you've actually, you know, passed the test of a mutual friend or something like that. Um and the the last bits of advice I'd give is that number one people really like giving opinions about their interests, mm-hmm. so if you ask someone some good questions about the things they're interested in, then you'll get good responses as opposed to you know broad questions like what do you think of the tech industry in general? you know try to make it a bit more personal than that, and don't look at a relationship as something that you can earn something out of so if you're connected with someone on linkedin it should be because like you know you genuinely like them as a person and you know you're you're invested in that relationship it's not like oh i'm gonna ask them for money one day or oh, i'm gonna ask them for a job one day you you, people aren't like you know cards to be filed away and dealt later you should actually you know treat them as people And just
0: be happy to be, like, in that relationship with someone in the first place. Okay. So it's more like building a personal rapport with someone as opposed to, like, just having them be a number on your LinkedIn, like, connections. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, people aren't robots. Don't treat them that way.
2: So in your personal experience, like, with networking that you've possibly done, what, like, allowed you to maybe get them a position or a job? Like, what did you do in general?
1: So at at big tech companies there's always like a channel for referrals and and things like that. Um for for being in a smaller uh a smaller sort of area in tech um it it's a bit harder but um you know you can you still have to like leverage your network uh to just like get people opportunities they wouldn't have otherwise. I've had uh my partner say to me, "Hey, I'm really interested in corporate development." Uh, and consulting and sort of internal-facing operations roles, um, and through that I've been able to put in touch, put her in touch with uh, people who actually do those things, people that I know before. And and this isn't necessarily getting me anything, but it's you know leveraging my network to to put people in touch who would like to be in touch, and and that's that's a really great thing, and that's like a really strong thing to be able to do. Um, and it gets harder once you're in a small company. You don't have a channel for referrals to get someone a job. Uh, but you can do things like uh, I know uh, a data scientist who was looking for a job and I was able to put her in touch with uh, some of the venture capitalists who uh, who fund uh, Steady Health um, and say, like, if you have any other portfolio companies that are hiring, then, you know, this person is a really great candidate. And, um and you know, that that's a really powerful way to leverage your network.
2: Uh, moving on from your NSW, heard your <laughs> homegrown stories. Um, I'm sure we'll be interested to hear what you've been up to since you've left. So what was your experience like working at Facebook after you moved over to the United States?
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed working at Facebook. Um, I was there for almost two years. I was working on the profile team. So that's things like profile pictures, cover photos, uh, and then I actually started working on Facebook dating. Facebook dating, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that was, I was one of the first engineers on that product. Um, it's currently out in a bunch of uh, uh, South American and Southeast Asian countries. Not Australia. Right? Not Australia. So, yeah, I probably can't say why it's not out in Australia. and <laughs> <laughs> still under an NDA. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I pushed hard for them to release in Australia. Sadly, it hasn't happened yet. Um, anyway, I I really enjoyed my time at Facebook. I think there's a lot to be said um, to have your first job at a big company because you sort of get a sense of what a best practice looks like and and sort of not necessarily saying that Facebook is like the finished product, but looking looking at what a company looks like, you know, 10, 15 years into its story as opposed to, you know, joining a startup and, um, and having to figure everything out for yourself. You kind of get a picture of what things should look like. Okay?
0: Um, So you briefly mentioned how you got to um, your position at Facebook with that, um, getting in touch with the team at the hackathon and then going through their normal application process. Um, And as I understand it, there's a very different market in um, CSE jobs in Australia as opposed to CSE uh, CSE jobs internationally. So my question is, how do you compete with um, other candidates, and how to best market yourself, like as a UNSW student, because that's like our demographic, I guess, to these companies, both internationally and um, domestically. And if this applies, then how do they differ? So this is this is something that's really difficult to
1: do because it requires a lot of introspection and it requires a lot of learning about yourself. So what you need to do is realize where your strengths are and build on them. So, for example, there's this concept of like an engineering master, like a 10X engineer, uh, where everything is easy to them and and blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't really have the inclination to try and become that sort of engineer. Um, So, I really try and leverage my softer skills, like my management skills that I picked up at CSC SOC or uh mentoring and product strategy, or even more design sort of things. That's a really good way to differentiate yourself from other base level engineers. Um, and as I mentioned, that's really difficult because you have to really know what you enjoy uh, outside of coding. Um, and that's something that's not easy to do. Um, that sort of applies domestically and internationally. Um if you are applying internationally, you should know about the E3 visa. If you're an Australian citizen, um basically you get to jump the queue ahead of like every other country that's applying for a visa and if you get a job offer in the US and you have a bachelor's degree, you you will almost guaranteed a visa because there's no lottery process. Um and it's not something that a lot of people know about, so it's difficult applying internationally when people don't really know about this, like, not really a loophole, but this huge advantage that Australian candidates have. Um, so it's definitely something you should know about and definitely something you should look into if you're applying internationally.
0: Okay. The common strategy between um, going for a domestic and international job is just to leverage your strengths, you'd say.
1: Absolutely. Y- you
0: have to realise where your strengths
1: are and and really market them because there are a lot of people who are very good at engineering out there um not enough uh so there are a lot of places that just have like a shortfall of candidates and need to make some up um and you know a lot of times that your base engineering skills will just get you over the line but if you if you're going somewhere where there's like a lot of competition like for example the atlassians or the googles or the facebook's of the world then you really have to market yourself and saying like, This is where I can add value to your business. This is where I'm better than every other candidate that you
0: have. So if you were a CS grad in present year, like 2019, where would you go considering that San Francisco has become to, as I understand it, has begun to become a bit oversaturated with tech jobs? Silicon Valley and San Fran is like the, I guess you could say the mecca of like tech jobs, right? So what other regions that, have the most potential for growth in the tech market?
1: That's a really good question. Um, And if I knew, I I would probably be in a different business, um, be selling real estate or something like that. Um, But the the reality is that everyone is different and the place that is right for me to live is different to the place that's right for other people to live. I, I know a lot of really brilliant engineers who got offers to go out to san francisco but they decided to stay in sydney because they like the lifestyle here sydney does ruin you because it's such a great place to live it's really difficult to go anywhere else um and the reality is that the world is very small these days and and you can really get to wherever you want to be and there's no one answer that's right for everyone you you have to try it out and see what you like I like San Francisco uh, mainly because uh, my partner Zoe is there and my job is there and, you know, I've got a lot of good friends there now. Um, It's also one flight back to Sydney, which is fantastic. Um, I really do like Sydney as well. Sydney in the Australian ecosystem is really starting to gather a lot of steam. There's a lot of new companies coming out, which is really exciting to see. But also uh, in the States, there are are places like... um, uh, Utah, the Silicon Slopes, they're calling it. Uh, New York has always had a strong tech scene. Uh, and, of course, up uh, up in Boston is where a lot of research happens because of the big universities there. There's also a lot going on in Europe, uh, and also Israel actually has a huge tech scene that's very much like underrated by the international community.
2: Um, moving from Sydney to San Fran, apart from your partner, what would you have to say that's like, one of the most significant lifestyle
1: changes. So it's it's all very it's all very different in San Francisco and and in America in general. Obviously, you know, it's a different culture. Um so the the biggest thing that I sort of felt was that um familiarity is easy. So like I can walk around or drive around Sydney and generally I know where I'm going and I know what I'm doing. Uh and I've got like a pretty strong support network here. And moving somewhere else is really difficult. Um, anyone who did HSC the same year I did will tell you exactly how uh, belonging to a place can really foster your sense of belonging. I'm and sorry, sorry, I should have included I should have included a trigger warning tr- trigger warning there. Process um, um, so
0: of discovery is enlightening. I completely forgot the syllabus, but yeah, yes,
1: continue. exactly so familiarity is something that that's really difficult to to get i mean i i it's taken me two years and and i still sometimes feel like an outsider in the u.s um in the u.s it culturally things are very different as well like the work-life balance is very much geared more towards work than it is in australia in the states like it feels a lot more high pressure because if you lose your job you lose health care there's no social safety net so it it really is quite scary for a lot of people if they lose their job they have to leave the country myself included and um, in australia the stakes are very low like if you lose your job you know it sucks but there's a social safety net you still have medicare and you know, you can knock off at 2 p.m. on Friday and go have a beer down at the beach. Like, it it the work-life balance here is definitely more geared towards life. And for a lot of people, that's very appealing. And that's why they choose to live and work in Sydney. But in, in America, it's definitely more geared towards work. Um, San Francisco itself is just like its own world. And it, you'll go to a bar and people will be talking about like bloody blockchain and, and like... <laughs> Facebook and and all these like tech issues that people don't really consider in the rest of the world um, And it's it's really cool, but you have to be very
0: cognizant that you're living in a bubble. Yeah Um, Continuing on from the comparisons between the US and Australia. What's the What are the biggest differences that you've identified between the tech industries here and in the US? So the reality is that in in the US, it's
1: just much bigger Um, but you know, you, you are sort of a drop in the ocean in the U S whereas in Australia, if you're an engineer here, you can spend a lot of time like at conferences and you can really get to know a lot of other people in the community in the U S it's just so huge that, you know, you're never going to meet everyone and, and know everything. Um, there is definitely something to be said for having a smaller community, uh, that we do have here in Australia. Um, having said that in the U.S it probably is easier to like, raise money to start a business, but we, we are getting there in Australia. Uh, and that's something that's really exciting
0: and, and really fantastic. So in the process of getting to your positions, for example, interning at Atlassian, um, getting a position at Facebook, and then moving to steady health as you are now, um, how did you actually get to all those positions? Did you set concrete goals and try to meet them every day? Did you have any particular strategies? Obviously, networking is a huge thing. And um, ultimately, um, as like a wrap up to all that, did your involvement in CSC soc have like an effect?
1: Yeah, so I used to be big into making plans and, and setting goals. And every plan I made has fallen to pieces. Uh, I was originally going to go study at Sydney University. Very glad I didn't do that. Um, I was I was going to do a double with commerce and then that that plan fell apart and... Then I was gonna go work at Westpac and that fell apart. And then I was gonna work at Atlassian and that fell apart and I ended up at Facebook. And so eventually I just sort of stopped making plans and, and started just, you know, doing what I enjoyed. And so goal setting does make sense, uh, but it's okay to reevaluate as new information comes to light. So I've got a set of goals that I, I wanna do at the moment. So I mentioned earlier that I, I, i'm not going to become like a guru level engineer or anything like that so i'm working more on like mentorship and management and and product strategy and and that sort of stuff um and so i've got a bunch of goals set around that but if i find that i don't enjoy you know one or more of those areas it's okay to pull back and say there's no point like reaching for this finish line if i'm not going to enjoy it the speaker at my graduation ceremony actually had a really good saying about that he said at the end of the rat race, you're still a rat, um, which which I thought that's was true. which I thought was quite funny because um, because you know you you have to really just do something that empowers you and makes you happy and and that's sort of the the path that that I've that I've taken. Okay. Um, CSE sock I feel did have an effect because it I mean it all started here it all started with me getting to know the people at Atlassian and then getting to know the people at Facebook, turning up to events and and getting involved. Um so that that's really the message I'd like to give to everyone is get involved in CSC SOC because it'll change your life for the better. And I promise uh they're not paying me to say that.
0: <laughs> Even though you're appearing on a CSC SOC podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um so ultimately what I got from that is that you're more of a process oriented person. You Appreciate the process and if you are actually enjoying it or not as opposed to a more goal oriented person,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. Because if if you're not enjoying what you're doing, then what are you doing?
0: Yeah, that's true. But um, this is a point that many CSE students may struggle with because um, for most people, the end goal of getting into CSE is to get a decent position, um, work in a field that you enjoy and ultimately live comfortably and so there's a lot of goals that are attached to that and um to those who are more goal-oriented than like process-oriented a um that's like a huge stress point because a lot of a lot obviously rides on that ability to be able to achieve those goals yeah so considering your plethora of positions that you've been in did you experience anything like self-sabotage imposter syndrome or like burning out or any like adverse psychological kind of effects.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, in it was actually my second year of university. I was um I was in my second semester. Um I was uh social head at CSE Soc. I was in the cast of CSE review. Um I was working part-time and I was taking a full load of courses. Oh. Um and the courses I was taking were like graphics and security engineering oh, and no. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and legitimately it was really rough and I really did stretch myself very thin. Um, And the reality is that when you come to any of these uh, sort of psychological circumstances, you just have to ask for help. That's, that's the only way around it. Like if you were doing something physical Like, for example, if you were lifting a weight that you didn't think or you were maybe 50-50 about lifting it, you'd ask for help. You'd ask for someone to spot you. Uh, You'd ask for someone to help you out and train with you. And the reality is that we don't really do that for for mental as much as we do for physical. So you definitely need to ask for help and lean on your support network. I'm very lucky that I'm very close with my family and I'm, like, very close with a lot of good friends of mine. And I was able to lean on them and say, like, hey – I'm having a tough time like I and it can be just small things so it's like I need you to go pick up my brother from school or like I can't go and do the grocery shopping or stuff like that and to be able to take that time it's really important to set boundaries that you know you need Um, so for example one of the things that I know will keep me from burning out is I I'm a morning person uh, which is kind of rare in in the CSE so in the engineering sort of world Um, so I'll get to work around like between 8, 8.15 and 8.30 every morning and I will leave before 6 and I will go home and I'll make my dinner and I'll have dinner at home. Even when I was getting free food at Facebook, I would never stay at Facebook for dinner um, because I knew that if I was like working through, that would really cause me to struggle and, and start to burn me out. Um, and setting those expectations that like, hey, I'm not going to be at dinner you know, at work all these nights, hey, I'm not going to work these long hours. Um, I'm going to set out this time three times a week to do exercise or read a book or just like meditate or stuff like that. That's really important. Um, And it's really difficult to get to a place where you know that's what you need. Um, But being happy, as I've mentioned many times, is the most important thing. And if you can set your expectations with other people and if you can set your boundaries correctly so that, you feel that you can perform at your peak, and you feel that you can be happy, then, uh, then you'll get a lot further before you start seeing these uh these effects like burning out and an imposter syndrome.
2: If you could change anything you did as a
1: CSE student or graduating student, what would it be? So I, I would have just said yes to everything. I, I there were some opportunities like going to events that I didn't because I wasn't in the right mindset or because uh, you know I just wanted to stay home and do nothing but like university is like a really special time where where you can do anything and I really regret not just saying yes to everything and doing as much as I could have Um, I I did I definitely did a lot and it's something that I definitely enjoyed Um, but you know it's a point in your life where you can really leave nothing on the table
0: kind of related to that um of the decisions you made up until now what was like the best decision i guess in terms of outcome or how it made you feel etc the best decisions i've ever made are different
1: definitely uh going to first year camp uh for csc SOC because i made so many good friends there and i had just like such a wonderful time and, and that was really the start of like a lot of really important relationships in my life with like people that i know who also moved over to the u.s or or people that I'm very close with uh back here um going to the US and and learning and and just experiencing that as well has been such a big experience for me and you know whether I stayed there long term or not is sort of irrelevant because I've learned so much and I've experienced so much um, and also getting together with Zoe, my partner, who I know will be listening. Shout out to Zoe. And, uh, and de- definitely on a personal level, something that is one of the best decisions I've ever made. Oh, yes. Just for and
2: context, he's just been outside for a phone call with his partner. Yeah. <laughs> so very some, appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: that, yeah. It's, um, it's about ten thirty PM in San Francisco right now. So I just had to call her before she went off to sleep. Very admirable. Yes. So <laughs> to continue,
2: um, how did you get from a huge company like Facebook and then transitioning
1: into like potentially
2: a smaller, is it qualified as a smaller company like Steady Health?
1: Uh, yeah, there's, uh, we have nine people, so it's definitely, definitely smaller. Definitely smaller. <laughs> yes, it's really small. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was looking for a few things. My personal sort of mission is that I want to use technology to help make people's lives better. Um, That's what I was really looking for. Um, I think Facebook does a really good job there. There are a lot of tools. Like, for example, I did just call my partner using Facebook Messenger. And there's a lot that's really good about Facebook. Um, But I was looking for somewhere where I could have a bit more of an impact on the company as a whole. Uh, At Facebook or at any large company, you are very much like a drop in the ocean. Uh, If you're one engineer, there, out of thousands. Um, So I was looking for somewhere where I could have more of an impact on the company as a whole. And um, and that's what I was really looking for. And and I was looking around on some jobs boards and and putting out uh, putting out some feelers with people I know. And um and I found Steady Health, uh which I should explain what we do. We we're, we're using continuous blood glucose monitors to drive a better standard of diabetes care. And I felt that that really fit with my personal mission of using technology to help make people's lives better and i met the team and and i spoke to them and i I spoke to the founders and uh they seemed to really know what they were doing and and have a really good perspective and outlook on how to build a good business and and build a really fantastic company uh out of this problem um so uh i went the interview process with them which was vastly different it was a couple of coffee chats with the ceo and then uh and then doing a take-home coding challenge. Uh, And uh, then they gave me an offer and I said, you know, why not? And went for it. And it's also actually been one of the better decisions I've made. Um, I've really enjoyed my time there so far. I've had experience working across the stack, like building out infrastructure as well as UI engineering, as well as recruiting, as well as building a team, as well as, you know, everything that comes with, Starting a company and, and building a product off the ground—that
0: sounds really cool.
2: Um, just for listeners, I've taken the description of Steady Health from their website. Um, Steady Health provides technology-enabled modern care for diabetes. We specialize specialize in CGM (continuous glucose monitoring), as you mentioned. Use data and technology to understand our members, help them set goals, and coach them to get there. Book appointments, refill prescriptions, and get coaching from our team of doctors
1: and nurses through our simple app. Yeah, that's all I have to say. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, hopefully the app looks simple. A lot, a lot of that was done by myself. Well, all of it was done by myself and the other engineer mm-hmm. on board. So yeah, ho- hopefully people find it easy to use. We we get a lot of good feedback coming in. And um, that's something that I'm really grateful for. And that's something that you don't really learn at um at university is that you sort of get given an assignment and there's generally like a right answer and a wrong answer. Whereas in the real world it's a lot more subjective than that where you, you put out a product and then uh a bunch of your users will say, Hey, we'd really love this feature, or hey, we'd we don't like this and we'd love to be able to do that instead. Um and responding to that feedback and, and iterating on, on your products is something that they don't really teach at university, but uh but is something that's you need to get really good at in the field.
0: Is the app um I'm assuming it's based in US domestically, right?
1: Yeah, so it's it's even more domestic than that. Actually, we're currently only licensed to provide care in California. Oh, okay. Uh, so if there are any uh, if there are any people with diabetes uh, listening, living in California, definitely look up Steady Health. Um, uh, otherwise, if you if you know someone, put us in touch, and hopefully we'll be able to expand to the rest of the US and internationally at some
0: point in the future. Hopefully, we can also expand our audience too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I listen, I listen, and I'm, oh, and right. I'm out in San Francisco. That is, that is true. Yeah,
2: that is the greatest thing I've heard being listened to from San Fran, the place itself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, considering your jump from Facebook to Steady Health, um, and also considering your technical background as um, purely CSE, right? How it, um, are there any tips, and how did you? best like synthesize a sorry how did you best synthesize a field in which you had the most expertise in with something that you're not really that um i guess learned in such as with steady health there's obviously med like um, medicine and technology so how did you best like synthesize those two do you think your experiences in that would translate to similar fields and similar jobs where you have to mesh two things together Yeah, that's a really great question. And the
1: reality is that it all starts with listening to people and having empathy for people. Um, Our founder, our CEO uh, has type 1 diabetes. And uh, so he's really able to empathize with the sort of people that that we're building. And and many of the people uh, that I work with uh, also have type 1 diabetes. And and seeing the way they go about their lives is is really illuminating uh, to the challenges uh, that uh, that our members face. Um, and that bill and one of our uh, company values actually that we came up with a few weeks ago was that you know you have to listen, you have to have empathy, and everything starts with compassion. Um, and that's great because it's it's not just health tech or uh, fintech or uh, you know uh femtech or or any any of the techs it's uh it's just really being a good human as well um and that that's where it starts is if if you want to sort of build something that is outside your comfort zone as an engineer you have to understand the problems that people are facing and that comes through listening that
0: comes through having empathy and compassion with other people okay cool um so to Finish off our, I guess, more structured kind of business, like, quote-unquote, business end of the podcast. How did your experiences between larger and smaller companies um, differ? And how do you think... Do you think your experiences transfer generally across, like, large and smaller companies? I know that especially in Steady Health, you've got, like... You mentioned that you had nine people working on it, so it's a lot more... Um, it's very small. intense. It's very small Yeah, <laughs> Facebook So yeah Take it away
1: So Larger companies Have like more resources To spend on you When I started at Facebook I went through their training And I learned how to Develop apps on Android um, And there are a lot of people there Who similarly Came out of grad programs and, and learned how to develop apps on iOS Or went like seriously Down infrastructure Or machine learning rabbit holes um, And at larger companies They sort of have the resources and the money and the time to spend on you and and really invest in you um and also create opportunities for mentorship within the company uh, at a smaller company you don't necessarily get that you really have to take control of your own destiny so you you have to come in and, and do the best you can to be impactful from day one and maybe look outside of the company for mentorship which is definitely something i would recommend everyone does
2: when you move to San Fran to work, is Steady Health based in San... Francisco? Yep, it's yep, San, Fran-
1: San Francisco, California. Yeah, i long it take you to go see the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> um, it, it's great. I've taken a bunch of people uh, to the Golden Gate Bridge, and, and what people don't understand, California markets itself as like this, you know, sunny summer paradise. San Francisco is really not. In, in the summer in San Francisco, you just get fog. Um... So, you know, I I, I took someone to uh, this really great park called the Marina Green. Uh, you can see the Golden Gate Bridge from there. And we we left uh, where I was living at the time, Redwood City. Uh, and it was sunny in Redwood City and we got the train up to San Francisco and it was cold and foggy and just sort of unpleasant in San Francisco. And we, we walked around to the Marina Green. And um, and we were sitting there, and there was just this large bank of fog sitting in the bay. I pointed. At it, I said, "You see that bank of fog?" And, and my mate goes, "Yeah." And I said, "Yeah, the Golden Gate Bridge is in there somewhere." <laughs> and and he, and he was just like, "I I don't believe you. It doesn't actually exist. It's just been like photoshopped into to all these photos." <laughs> Um, (laughs) there's no golden gate bridge conspiracy exactly exactly no it it does exist i it was a couple weeks after i first moved uh we we did the very touristy thing where uh, a few friends and i rented some bikes and, and rode our bikes across the golden gate bridge and it's really great because um they have on the pathway up to the bridge they have all these signs talking about like the history of san francisco and the bay and the history of the golden gate bridge and the last sign they have before you get onto the bridge is all about earthquakes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't there so, a huge earthquake in, like, the early 20th century in San Fran? Uh Yeah, ni- so 1906, there was a huge earthquake where a lot of the city actually burnt down. Um, and um, and there was a big one as well in uh, in 1989 where part of the Bay Bridge that connects San Francisco to Oakland actually collapsed. Um, so it's kind of unnerving to, to, you're about to ride, ac- ride across this bridge. And it's a big reminder that, Hey, the ground may move without warning and who knows what's going to happen, which is quite funny. It's, uh, it it's definitely like a, a San Francisco experience or a California experience to, to feel an earthquake. I was in LA for the recent ones, uh, over the 4th of July weekend. And, and that was kind of unnerving. Um, you know, sitting around having breakfast and then the ground starts shaking. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh,
0: you know, that's what you get when you live on a fault line. I love tectonic plates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I also heard that San Fran is very... Like, it's summer in San Francisco right now, but it yep. feels like winter here, apparently. It's It's been
1: warmer uh, here this week uh, in Sydney than it has been in San Francisco over the past couple of weeks, um, which, which is kind of crazy. So... If if you're kind of a weather nerd, uh keep listening. Um the the way it works is that uh the cold water from the Pacific Ocean uh brings up a lot of cold air and uh the sun heats up a lot of air out in in the East Bay hills and the Central Valley of California and Nevada as well. That hot air all rises and the cold air from over the ocean rushes in through San Francisco and through the Golden Gate and that forms a lot of fog that goes through the city. So it it actually in summer especially uh they call it june gloom um where it is just like gloomy and unpleasant through the summer months and then september october in san francisco is actually the best time to visit Hmm. That's pretty cool actually. Yep. We'd
2: like to thank you, Mr. Bloom, for joining us. Of UNSW. <laughs> the great home of Mr. Bloom. And, uh, <laughs> I think that's how
1: we should title ourselves. Oh, that you're very flattering. Thank you. Very when you much. come back, yeah. I'm sure
2: there'll be a statue just in the park <laughs> of Mr. Bloom.
1: Uh, um, there, there's a great photo of me from um, from first year camp a couple of years ago. And and that's the statue I'd like made. Is there's a photo of me Uh, holding a beer dancing by myself at first year camp and uh, on my back is a giant thong, a giant flip-flop that I dressed up in uh, for the dance party. Are we
0: allowed to use that as a thumbnail?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'll, I'll send you the photo. Name, yeah, that's um, yeah, that, that's that's the statue I'd like made of me is like the, this giant thong hanging off my back. It'll be done. Yeah, <laughs> coming from San uh, Your request friend. will be <laughs> saved I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> put that put that CSC sock sponsorship money to good use. You can you can you can cut that out. <laughs> it's staying in. No, now. fantastic. <laughs> okay.
0: Thank you for um, dropping in with us and um, chatting. It's been extremely insightful. Of course. And I hope to the listeners that you've been able to get, like, I don't know, some veteran um, some advice from a veteran regarding pathways to careers, how to get there, how to overcome um, some issues that you may be facing.
2: In the international scene and from UNSW himself, the man yeah. to meet the legend.
1: <laughs> yeah. And if anyone's looking for uh, for people to play tennis with, uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. That'd be great.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And once again, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Of of course. Course.